This is Racism Revealed, a podcast born out of the anti-racism work at Trinity Episcopal Church in Houston over the last several years. We began this year, 2020, this work as a podcast in order to move farther into our commitment to work towards an anti-racist future in our church, in our community, in our country, and in our world. We believe that this is in accordance with the vision and the dream of God for God's reign on earth, for God's will on earth. And so we offer a platform, whether you're religious or not, you don't have to be Episcopalian or even a believer to participate in this podcast. But we offer this platform to our friends, our family, and our community to share stories of both how we have perpetuated racist actions and systems if we are of privilege and how we have received and been injured by racist actions and systems. We are a church, so we do pray, and we pray for social justice. Oh God, grant that your holy and life-giving spirit may so move every human heart and especially the hearts of the people of this land, that barriers which divide us may crumble, suspicions disappear, and hatred cease, that our divisions may be healed, and we may live in justice and peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Two Trinity parishioners, Sheila Wainwright and Angel Williams, are the hosts and curators of this podcast, and we thank them for their work. As Trinity Episcopal Midtown family continues conversations surrounding racism, we would like to thank each and every one of you for your contributions to this podcast series. Our goal is not to debate whether or not racism or white privilege exists, but rather simply to share our individual experiences and to work to find ways we can address racism, both personally and professionally. We believe this can be accomplished through the exchange of open, meaningful, and respectful conversations surrounding anti-racism. We believe that collectively and as Christians, we can work proactively toward identifying and opposing practices, structures, and systems that enable racism to flourish and exist in our world. It is our hope that through this work we can achieve 
a greater understanding of social justice, which is simply allowing all persons equal access to the benefits and freedoms of a society and to also be free from the unequal distribution of its burdens. Hi, I'm the Reverend Charles Graves, and some of you know me as campus missioner for Houston Canterbury, the Episcopal Campus Ministry, at a number of our colleges and universities here in Houston, and of course as an Episcopal priest and based uh, out of Trinity Church, my office being upstairs in Yule's wonderful building. I wanted to take a few moments with great thanks to Reverend Hannah for renewing and reinvigorating this conversation at Trinity around racism and policing, in particular in the context of the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and so many others, uh, as our entire conversation and indeed the world are having this conversation as well. So I want to take a moment just to tell you about my own experience, less as a priest, but as simply as a young African-American male about some of the experiences that I've personally had with policing and with uh, racial profiling as well. And I want to share with you some of the things that have unfortunately had to become a part of my everyday life, simply in recognizing and, and in uh, preparing and preventing myself, God forbid, for uh, a negative encounter with police. So when I was about 18 or 19 years old, I think, I was uh, waiting for a taxi outside of my home. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later, but I was simply waiting for a taxi to pick me up to take me somewhere, and I was standing in front of my home, and uh, I was wearing a polo shirt and khakis, and it just so happened that at the time, the mayor of the city of Baltimore, where I lived, was my next door neighbor, which meant that she had a police detail which was stationed outside of her home and then by virtue outside of my family's home for years. I got to know the police and I always made a point to wave and say, uh, and give a friendly gesture to the police as I walked by simply because I thought it was very important that they know me lest they have any question. And one day as I was standing out waiting for that taxi, an officer gets out of the car after seeing me standing there at the corner for a while waiting for my taxi and he asks me, where do I live? What was I doing? Why was I standing out there? And I answered the officer's questions as friendly and as, as uh, kindly and as openly as I possibly could. I made sure my hands were visible. I made sure not to make any sudden gestures. All of these things going through my head because I've had to have the conversation with my mother as many other black mothers and black sons have had to have over the course of time. Eventually the officer was satisfied and went on his way, but I could tell he continued to watch me until the taxi indeed pulled up and brought me away. Another time, several years later, I was in Italy while I was serving as a missionary, and a friend, and a friend of mine and I, who happened, uh, she happened to be a white female, a little younger than I, we were both in our 20s at the time, we decided to go to Venice for a day or two to go exploring. And so we decide to uh, take a bus from Rome to Venice and we uh, arrived at Venice, the bus dropped us off at the train station 
and we were deciding where to go from there, what sites to see, how to get to our Airbnb, and so on. Right then, an officer of the Italian uh, military guard dressed in uh, camo and uh, the full uh, military uniform, carrying a very large uh, gun, a very large pistol, uh, a very large gun, I should say, walked up to us, but spoke only to me. And he asked me in Italian if I, uh, what I was doing there. He asked me if I had my passport, thankfully I did. He asked me all sorts of questions, why I was in Italy, why I was in Venice, what I was going to do, what my citizenship status was, all sorts of things. He asked only to me. The officer didn't say a single word, not a single word, not a single question to my white female friend. The officer takes my passport, takes it away from me, ordering me to stand there and having another uh, member of the military guard keep an eye on me while the other went to go and radio in. And he radioed in about all of the, to verify all of the information that I had just given him. Fortunately, at the time, I knew enough Italian to be able to speak and to respond and to understand his questions. And I made a point to respond in that language. I hastened to think what would have happened if I had not had an American passport, if I had not been able to respond to his questions as clearly and carefully as I could. After a few minutes, the officer finally seemed to be satisfied that he had verified my credentials, still not saying a word or asking a thing of my white friend, and handed his passport, handed my passport back to me and sent me on my way. As you can imagine, I was absolutely livid at having to have the indignity of being questioned in that way simply for being a tourist like any other and simply for being a black tourist. So a few things about what's a part of my ordinary life as a result of all of this. When I was in seminary in Connecticut in a very cold climate, I remembered that whenever I would wear gloves or mittens, I would take off my gloves if I saw, particularly saw a white person, especially if that person were an officer crossing the street, which is to say, I wanted to be very clear that my hands were empty. I would take my hands out of my pockets, even if it was very cold, because I wanted the person to know that my hands were empty. I waited a very long time to own or drive a car. Sometimes I tell people that I didn't own a car until I was 27, and I didn't even have a driver's license until I was 24. That's part of the reason I was waiting for a taxi that day. And the reason I waited so long, or one of the many reasons, one of the biggest reasons, was that I was petrified, and still am, of the thought of being a black man driving a car in America, and particularly the thought of what might happen to me if I were pulled over. To this day, I drive a very bright colored blue car, a car that is very identifiable with even very identifiable plates on it because I want it to be very clear to anyone who sees my car that I am not suspicious and that my car is not a suspicious vehicle. When I drive my car out of the city, when I drive a distance further than a half an hour, if at all possible, I'll put my collar on even if I'm not going anywhere having to do with the church, even if I'm driving to see a friend in another city, I'll put my collar on because it is important to me if someone does pull me over 
to be able to be identified as clergy, which is to say to be able to be identified as someone less dangerous per se. But again, that's only a feature and a vestige of the fact that I happen to be an ordained member of the clergy. Whenever I leave the house, whenever I leave the house, even if I'm going to take out the garbage, I make sure to have my phone and my ID and my keys. I never want to be out of the house, even if I'm just standing in front of my own home, never want to be out of the house without identification and without my phone in case something should occur. This is just one of more than I can count, one of a number of uh, several, a number of ways that, that I have taken on just as a black man in America to be able to walk about and live and God willing, breathe and live the life that, that God has called me to do. And these are things that, that perhaps you, if you are white and listening to this and watching this, these are things that you never have to think about as the course over the course of your life. I never go in and leave a store without a receipt. Or if I do, I make it very clear to the uh, store owner or to the cashier that I chose not to buy anything and I hope they have a good day. All of these, and I could go on for hours about this, are ways that the black men and black women around you and in your life have to go about their daily lives. And so, beloved brothers and sisters and siblings at Trinity and beyond, I hope that you will take moments over time to think about the ways in which your black siblings and brothers and sisters have to go about their lives and how much of a toll it takes on us over the course of our lives. And do whatever you can, speak up, write, address your legislators and do all sorts of things that you can in order to change the world for the better. May it be so in the name of God. Hello, Reverend Charles. Thank you so much for sharing the painful stories that you were subjugated to throughout your life as a child of God. Your stories, as unfortunate as they are, are exactly repeated in the lives of so many of us in our country and throughout the world. This is wrong, and we must do better. It is our hope that through sharing our truths and painful testimonies, we will begin to shed light in places that have always been held in secret and in darkness. May God bless you, may God protect you, and may God preserve you, mind and body, so that you will continue his work to fulfill his mission. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Almighty Father, give us strength and courage to speak out against injustices and to work for the transformation of unjust systems that keep some of your people in bondage, that we may more fully live out your kingdom here on earth. 
We pray for those who have lost their lives, especially those from police violence across this nation. We pray for the faithful in every generation who have worked for justice, for the prophets who called us to racial reconciliation, for the martyrs who died because of hatred, and for all the communion of saints. Make us faithful to your call to proclaim your good news by word and example, and bring us into the glorious company of the saints in light. We ask these prayers through Jesus, your Son, who came to set us free. Amen. This is the Reverend Hannah Elizabeth Atkins Romero thanking our hosts once again, Sheila Wainwright and Angel Williams, Trinity parishioners, and also the Reverend Charles Graves for participating as the truth teller, and our producer, Colin Boothby. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity's work on anti-racism or listen to other interviews and podcasts, please go to our website at trinitymidtown.org or our YouTube page. Thank you. God bless.